Hi, and welcome to the Good Fundraising Podcast, where we bring together nonprofit thought leaders and change makers to talk about what's good in the world of fundraising and what could be better. I'm your host, Alicia Mollenstein. Thanks for joining me today. Today, I am so excited to bring you this discussion with Kyla Scheuer about how liberating structures can transform not only our day-to-day interactions with our teams, but the sector at large. Kyla has served in numerous executive positions in the global nonprofit sector, most recently as the CEO for the Resource Alliance and the International Fundraising Congress. Kyla has been leading transformational change in the global nonprofit sector for 15 years now, and she's currently working at the intersection of systems and leadership in the social good space. She's serving as both the CEO and co-founder of Philanthropy and Fundraising North America, and as a creative consultant for DSIL Global, a social innovation company. I heard Kyla and her team speak about liberating structures on a webinar, and I was blown away, raced out to get the book, and reading through the book just had flashbacks to every single bad or unproductive meeting I'd been in, and was finally realizing why. So I hope you get as much out of this conversation with Kyla as I did recording it, and this is a really dense topic, so I hope that you'll join us down the road for a part two where we can get into even more of this. But in the meantime, here's my conversation with Kyla. You know, Kyla, you've had a ton of experience with lots of different organizations really around the world, and I'm hoping you can share with us a quick overview of some of your work with nonprofits. Well, I've been working, yes, I've been working in the nonprofit um, space, I guess, for the last 14 or 15 years. So I started off um, my journey in nonprofits at Operation Smile. And um, and then from there, I went to work with an organization called the Resource Alliance that um, runs the IFC, which is the International Fundraising Congress. Um, and that's where organizations from around the world come together to share and learn and collaborate with each other. And so from that perspective, I've had the opportunity to kind of see and talk to lots of different nonprofit organizations of all shapes and sizes around the world and start to kind of understand and see what their common similarities are and some of the problems that, you know, they they share. Well, IFC brings together an amazing group of people. I had the benefit of, of going several years ago, and it was really refreshing to hear from other speakers and other organizations that I never had the chance to interact with before. But to your point, you see some of these same issues coming up regardless of where they are in the world or what they do. So, I mean, you've you've had the benefit of seeing such a diversity of organizations. Let's talk about some of the biggest issues that you see with these nonprofits and their fundraising programs and their teams. Yeah, I mean, I would say in a word one of the biggest issues is actually collaboration, which sounds kind of shocking when you're thinking about the nonprofit space, because you would expect that to be a highly collaborative environment. But actually, I, you know, I, I, that is the case in some instances, but what I'm, I've typically seen, and, and perhaps Alicia, what you've experienced in your career as well, is that both internally and externally um, within the broader nonprofit and social good ecosystem, there is a challenge around collaboration. You know, when I hear the word competition in the nonprofit sector, I just, I find that that word just has no place in the space because um, at the end of the day, 
we're all looking to to do good work in the world and to create impact. And if we could work collaboratively together, then I have to believe that there's so much more good that we can do. So, you know, internally, I would say a good example of um, of not collaborating internally might express um, itself as working in silos. So whether that's functional silos like, you know, finance, fundraising, development, branding, marketing and communications, um, working, you know, independently, or silos even within departments, like within the fundraising department, acquisition being siloed from cultivation, or perhaps direct mail versus digital, or direct response versus development. Um, I mean, the bottom line is that when we're working in silos, we're just focused on the what's in it for me, that kind of mindset, um, versus what's in it for us. And so when we're not looking at the big holistic picture or the interdependencies, that really ends up leading to internal conflicts, which are just counterproductive in so many ways. So how do you see those silos begin to manifest themselves in the day-to-day work of nonprofits? Yeah, I mean, I've had some personal experience of that as well. I mean, to perhaps to the donor, it can show up as inconsistent communications or conflicting or mixed messages. So, um, you know, you might have a newsletter that's going out from direct response team and then another news, newsletter that's going out from marketing and communications and they're speaking to the donor in, in different voices. So that causes a real lack of cohesion and confusion. I think from a cultural perspective, um, it shows up as internal conflicts or turf battles over things like who owns which donor or who controls the messaging. So what you tend to find is that navigating these internal conflicts can become really draining for team members. And then people just start to become really disengaged. You know, they're demotivated, they're frustrated, they feel like their voice isn't being heard or it doesn't matter. And it ends up creating really stressful situations that cause good people to actually leave the organization. You know, sadly, a term that I've unfortunately heard a lot of in the nonprofit space is toxic work environment. So, I mean, that sounds so counter to our values as a sector. But sadly, I think it's this inability to collaborate, not only across departmental silos, but also within teams. Um, That means it's a lot more commonplace than you might think. Yeah, it, it is. And I, I think it's really particularly heartbreaking when it happens in you know, mission-driven sectors like the nonprofit sector, where you're attracting people who are interested in doing the work you know, because they're passionate about the mission and they get hamstrung or the organization itself ends up getting hamstrung because of some of these problems. So you know, the $65,000 question for you, you why is that? Why do you think that this happens so often? Well, I mean, I I mean, I think that we can just become so preoccupied with the day-to-day, you know, doing things like we've always done them, controlling our silos, and we seem to have forgotten our common why and our overall purpose, perhaps why we were even founded in the first place. So we find ourselves drifting into managing a business um, versus collaborating together to find the best possible solution to the problems that we were actually created to solve. 
So I think when we start to engage in collaboration uh, within our teams, and then we expand that collaboration beyond our silos, uh, we build trust. And by building trust, we really break down the barriers that have been keeping us apart and shift into a mindset that's much more open to ideas and finding solutions wherever they come from. You know, I kicked off the whole podcast with this idea that we're in this really key moment of reflection for you know all of us personally and for organizations across the board. And it's going to be one of those moments where we are all changing the ways that we work. And it will be very interesting to see if that muscle memory begins to kick in with all these different ways of working. And, you know, in that spirit of taking a different look on things now, having a moment where we do have to innovate and change, mm-hmm. what what are some of these like typical daily actions? Maybe it's our meeting styles or our internal structures that prevent us from doing better with collaborations and outcomes and that we should all be looking to change right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, we seem to have fallen into some really conventional routines and ways of working together that just don't encourage us to engage and collaborate. And what happens is that they even tend to exclude or stifle or over-control participation. And we often find that, you know, they don't provide a space for good ideas to germinate, emerge, or even, you know, the sharing of good ideas or the ability to combine them or refine them. So what I mean by that is um, typically there's usually one person doing all the talking. So if you think about a presentation and that one-to-many dynamic, while the rest of the group are sat passively listening, or even manage discussions where you call people together to discuss ideas um, or solutions, but often really what's happened is that the idea has already been made. So I think that leaves people feeling really frustrated and without a voice, with no opportunity to really contribute their ideas and no room for collaboration. That's that's true. I mean, we've all been in meetings where yeah. you, you're being talked at and it's incredibly frustrating. And I can absolutely see how that might create a type of atmosphere of like a learned helplessness where people just don't feel, they don't feel that it's in their right anymore to even contribute or that it's valued. It's a bad outcome for everybody. Well, and you think about, you know, sometimes we get together for brain brainstorming, but that's typically really unstructured. And so it doesn't necessarily lead to outcomes that we can use or we have we decide we're going to have big open discussions but we do it as one big undivided group and then in those situations you'll find that perhaps one or two people tend to dominate and there's the impression of creating inclusion but actually there's a lot of people that aren't participating and aren't talking and aren't invited to join into the conversation so um, whereas you know it's positioned as an open discussion but actually it's being controlled by um, just a few voices, and those are typic- it's typically based on hierarchy. Absolutely. And I think we so often, you know, as you're saying this too, I'm just thinking back on every meeting I've ever attended. <laughs> um, but I think we so often confuse attendance for collaboration yeah. that by the sheer nature of having people in the room, somehow this will all magically happen. And, you know, that's not the case. And maybe before we start to talk about some of the tactics that we can begin to to bring to our teams and to our organizations to change that, 
um, you know, what, what else can you tell about an organization by the way they conduct these meetings and brainstorming? And we just talked about the hierarchy. I imagine you see that come alive. Yes, you do. You can definitely tell a lot um, about an organization's culture. I mean, who is speaking? Who's doing all the talking? Who's invited to participate? All of those things say a lot about the power dynamics at play. Um, and what you tend to find is that organizations that encourage greater engagement and more diverse perspectives um, to come to the table, they tend to be a lot more open, a lot more collaborative, a lot more willing to share and listen. Um, they also tend to embrace innovation uh, wherever that may come from. And they seem to have more open, transparent, and I think therefore healthy cultures. Well, those all sound like the exact things an organization would want to have right now to be able to you know, survive and go with the flow with these ever-changing circumstances that we're all in at the moment. So shifting a little bit of, of gears towards some of these strategies, I heard you speak about liberating structures, and I've been doing a little bit of my research on it, including reading the book, The Surprising Power of Liberating Structures where I feel like I've gone down a rabbit hole of information. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Can you describe what's different about these techniques? My own journey with Liberating Structures started a few years back um, at IFC Asia, which was in Thailand, when we invited a group called DSIL Global uh, to come and talk. We were very intrigued by the topic and we wanted to see it in action. And when um, there was a masterclass, which I sat in on during that time, and when I discovered liberating structures, I, it, I really felt that it was something that the nonprofit sector needed to embrace widely. And I, as a collaboration tool, as a way for, for us to collaborate more effectively. So I gravitated towards that and really started to immerse myself in it. And we started bringing liberating structures to IFC and then most recently doing some work with the Nonprofit Alliance our leadership summit, which was in September of last year, we pretty much designed the whole summit using liberating structures, which um, created a completely different type of conference where there was just a, a lot of engagement, a lot of idea generation. It was really an exciting atmosphere to be in. So essentially, liberating structures are a menu of alternate ways of organizing that make it possible to include and engage everyone in the conversation. And what I'm most excited about is the fact that they actually tap into the wisdom in the room. So how many times have you been to a conference and just moved from presentation to presentation as a passive uh, spectator? And you've been so excited to, to talk about the material and you've had ideas and, you know, there may be a little bit of Q&A um, interaction, but essentially you haven't had the opportunity to talk to anybody else in the room about what you've just heard um, and expand on those ideas. So that's um, that's what it feels like when you're when you are involved in liberating structures. I mean, each one of these structures can be used with any size of group, and I mean any. That and it sounds really far fetched, and sometimes people you know have a really hard time wrapping their head around it. So can you work with? A group of a thousand people, yes, you can, you know, 
it's constrained only by the size of the room. And in the virtual environment, it's probably constrained only by the size of the number of people that you can have in a Zoom meeting or other platforms. So I can say that having used these structures for the past few years, they literally can transform how people interact and work together. The type of meetings that you're describing with that difference of bouncing room to room or presentation to presentation, a conference setting versus mm -hmm. the kind of, whether it's a conference or a meeting where you're generating ideas. I mean, I can feel my energy higher just thinking of that second example. Of you, you know that kind of meeting when you're in it because uh, you walk out with more energy than you came in with. And it is really rare. So let's talk about maybe a hypothetical example or a case study. You mentioned the one in Thailand already. So some of these techniques and how you've used them. You know, in its simplest form, if you if you do have that kind of that presentation style where you're you're at a conference and you're trying to get information across and it's in its very simplest form Alicia I would say you know cut down the out those hour-long presentations to maybe the 15-minute TED talk um, and so you're presenting the material but once the material's been presented there are so many ways that you can use to unpack it so there's a simple structure called one two four all in in liberating structures and essentially um the directions for that are really simple. So you've just heard from your presenter on a particular topic. You take, you're asked to take one minute personally to reflect on that topic and to think about what was your big takeaway. And so you get, you know, one minute or a couple of minutes to write that down. And then the next step in the process is to turn to the person next to you. Now you may not have met that person and it's likely that had this liberating structure not been introduced, you would have just sat down in your seat and then got up and, you know, walked out again. But you literally turn to the person next to you and you discuss your thought with them or your idea and you're given two minutes to do that. And then in turn, they discuss their thought and their idea with you. Um, so you get immediately you get a different perspective and the opportunity to elaborate on what is top of mind for you. And then the next part of the structure is four. So you join with another pair and all four of you have four minutes to talk about what you've discovered and all the time you are refining and honing your answer. And then at the end of that, um, the all part of the one, two, four, all, you're going to feed back to the broader group. And that's where, you know, the presenter would essentially act as a facilitator and would be pulling all of these insights out of the room. So the dynamic is so different. Um, I mean, you know, you and I both have, have been to many, many conferences and usually the room is silent. And what is so fantastic about this structure is that immediately uh, after the moment of the minute of reflection, the room just comes alive because you've got everybody in the room talking to each other. And then that happens, you know, as they're doing it in pairs and as they're doing it in fours. And then when we come back around, everybody is together and feeding back their thoughts, you don't get that awkward silence that can often happen where um, the presenter asks, does anyone have any questions and, and, and no one speaks up. Now you've got a lot of different people providing different perspectives and insights, and that really stimulates great conversation. And, and again, it taps the wisdom in the room. So usually when you go to, to these types of conferences, there's a lot of people that have been involved in, say, the nonprofit sector for many, many years, and they have deep, deep knowledge and experience, and, and we never get to hear from to hear from them. So it provides just a great way to interact. And I've got 
lots lots more examples, but I know we don't have um, all day to go through each of them. It absolutely sounds like it makes for a more productive meeting or conference that you're you're getting to the point of generating the ideas in the room instead of waiting for everyone to go off to their next thing, forget half of what they heard, and then trying to herd all the cats afterwards to get the yeah. ideas out of everybody. With continued use and practice and application, have you seen this approach begin to really change teams and even some of the cultural problems that we were talking about before? Yes, definitely. Um, I mean, I would say that literally by enabling the opportunity to engage with each other more deeply, you know, even with people that we wouldn't normally connect with, perhaps across our organizations, we start to build bridges. And so what is so liberating about liberating structures is that they really do unlock this culture of inclusion and innovation because they enable everybody to contribute to the group's success and ideas. So that that shifts the power that was, you know, once perhaps just reserved for experts or the person with the kind of the highest uh, ranking title in the room into the hands of everyone. So, you know, think of the benefits in a nonprofit organization. If everyone was really encouraged to uh, put forth their best ideas and actually be heard, just think of all the, the, the fantastic innovations that we could bring to the forefront. Well, especially now, right? I mean, now we're, we're all remote and likely are going to be for some time to come. So these are all wonderful ideas, but can they also be applied to the way we're working now with, with virtual meetings and not being able to be face-to-face? Yes, they can. And actually, it's pretty, it's pretty incredible how um, liberating structures have been adapted so easily to fit into the virtual environment. And some of that, of course, is because of the technology, um, you know, the Zoom technology that enables breakout rooms. Um, so essentially, you can use, I think we've used almost all of the liberating structures and they're about, there's 33, I would say, official liberating structures, but they're certainly um, more in development. But most of them that I've used have translated really beautifully into, into the virtual environment. Okay, so some great examples that seem to translate really well in the virtual environment is um, something called a conversation cafe, where you pose a question to the group, and then you literally go into breakout rooms of four people in each breakout room, and you follow the structure for conversation cafe. So each one of you has the opportunity to share your perspective with the people on your in your group. And you take it in turns to share that initial perspective. And then through the structure, it walks you through how you then build on each other's perspectives and to create a bigger idea. And again, after the breakout session, you come back to the group to share that. There's a really fun one called Mad Tea, which is a way of uh, unpacking what some, some of the challenges might be for the group. So it's a series of open-ended sentences. So you, you say these open-ended sentences and you give the group the opportunity to have a think. It's not long. Maybe you have 30, 20 or 30 seconds to respond in chat and you hold off and hitting enter until everybody's got their response. So once you hit enter, you get this incredible uh, chat cascade of all of the answers to the question. <laughs> and it's really fun to see them all come in and then the whole group can kind of scroll the chat to see how everyone else has responded. It's a great way of harvesting information. And then you quickly go into the next question. 
Um, and that's, that's a really fun way to quickly get a pulse on how the team is feeling or um, some great quick ideas on how you might respond to challenges together. Um, so there's any number of ways that, you know, that they can be used. And, and it's just a lot more energizing. It's a lot more energizing to have an engaging, interactive meeting rather than, you know, everybody coming onto a Zoom call and, and taking it in turns to, to give your status update. I love that. It's like a, a word cloud with all the, the ideas just pouring forth and popping up. And it is a challenge with Zoom. I mean, we've certainly heard this uh, enough by this point that, you know, people can be a little disengaged. They might be a little more distracted. Mm -hmm. uh, they might be tired after a whole day of being on Zoom. So I think it's even more important than ever to find ways to bring some energy and novelty to these meetings to keep everyone's engagement up. Uh, because it is as great as different ways of working are, we're, we're all still learning and they have their own challenges. So I love that idea for keeping engagement with a group while we're all on our screens. I, I'm taking a lot of notes on these <laughs> myself. No, I, I mean, I, you know, I think it's, we're all learning as we go, aren't we? We're all experimenting. And one of the things, especially using Zoom and thinking about collaboration, and this is kind of where we started our conversation is, you know, it's really important, especially in this virtual environment, to build relationships. And it seems like a difficult thing to do um, when you have a screen div dividing you. But actually, there are some great liberating structures. There's one called impromptu networking with a whole series of really fun questions. And you can literally split into breakout rooms in groups of two um, and share your answer with each other and then come back and split off into another group of two, have a conversation, share your answer with each other and come back. So in the space of, you know, 10 minutes, you can have five different conversations and you've built a relationship with somebody that you may not have met before. You may not have, you know, had an opportunity to interact with them in, in an office environment. And what I've actually found is that people in some instances, just feeling more engaged. They feel like they know their coworkers more because of the the amount of time that they've spent together. And I'm not saying it's a substitute for, you know, the real thing and being in person, but I do think that we've been able to find ways to, to make this more fun. Well, I love that those approaches kind of get past some of the superficial stuff that we can get trapped in even when we are face-to-face. -face. I mean, how many how many colleagues do you never have those quality conversations with. So having those guides to get a little deeper early on, I, I would have to think can only help cement those working relationships, regardless of whether you're virtual or right. not. Exactly. I mean, and, and liberating structures as a tool can literally be integrated everywhere where collaboration is needed. Um, so uh, Alicia, you had the book and I can't believe you read your way through the whole book. Um, <laughs> I think that would be a tough read. The easiest way to practice, to, to do liberating structures or to embrace liberating structures is just to jump in and practice them. So there are actually, and I can send a link and maybe we can add this to the podcast. I think you said you had a resource section. There is a liberating structures community where they're hosting these events and most of them are free online. So you can get to experience liberating structures. There's also a fantastic app that's also free that, gives you all of the 33 different structures and explains how you use them, why you use them, um, and the specifics of that. So it is a very generous, open um, community. And 
lots of great tools and resources that we can share with everybody on who might be listening to the podcast. Uh, well, that's amazing. We'll definitely include those in the show notes. I really appreciate you putting those resources out for everyone and for sharing this knowledge. I know it's just the tip of the iceberg, but I think getting the ideas out there is half the battle. And you know, I hope at some point we can revisit uh, some time with you and talk more about fixing the cultures that we're all in to make our sector better and stronger. Oh, I would love that. I'd love that, Alicia. I think there's a, there's a lot of work that we can do. I think if people can, if this just makes people curious about liberating structures and what it might do for their organization, then, then it's a really great place to start. Great. Well, Kyla, thank you again for your time. And as we mentioned, we'll put all these resources in the show notes. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Alicia, for the opportunity. You're doing great work. Really appreciate it. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thanks again for joining me today for this conversation with Kyla. I hope you were inspired and interested about ways that you can bring some of this work to your own teams. Uh, even in this age of Zoom, it is worth a try because one more Zoom meeting is probably the last thing any of us want to be in. So we may as well try to make them the best meetings we can possibly have. We're going to have a lot of resources in the show notes. So I would highly encourage you to go take a look at those at goodfundraising.net slash podcast. I'll have links to the Liberating Structures website, to the book, The Surprising Power of Liberating Structures, and there's also an app on the Apple Store, the Liberating Structures app. So highly encourage you to go take them, try them out, and let me know how it goes. Send me an email at hello at goodfundraising.net and let me know if anything from this discussion about Liberating Structures has changed the way you and your teams are working today. Lastly, if you enjoyed the episode, please consider subscribing. It helps other people find us out there. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. So please help spread the word for someone who you think could use a little bit more of this information. So thanks again for joining me today. I look forward to next time. And until then, remember to keep being nice and doing good.